This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season we'll bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Today's track session comes from LifeWay's track at the National Disciple Making Forum called The Discipleship Pathway. In this session, you'll be hearing the importance of answering the question, who are you? And then in the next session, where are you going? But we must answer these individual questions in light of who we are as a church. Where are we going as a church? And what's the primary purpose of the church? The ebook called Discipleship is the Core Mission of the Church by Bobby Harrington was written to help you answer questions just like that. And in case you didn't catch it, the core mission of the church is discipleship. But how do we know this, biblically speaking, and why is it important? Download this free ebook to learn more. Go to discipleship.org ebooks and look for Discipleship is the Core Mission of the Church by Bobby Harrington. You can also click in the link in the show notes of this episode for direct access. And now for today's episode. Today you'll hear from Andrew Hudson, and he asks the question, where are you going? All right, guys. So a few carryovers, a few new faces. Good to see you all. Welcome back. Um, So in our first hour together, we were talking about our identity, who we are. And so now that we have who we are, we're going to go where we go next, right? So we're talking about vision and then mastery. Um, and I have more pictures of my little girl for those of you that were here last. Um, all right. So going back to Alice in Wonderland, my favorite movie growing up. Um, so the first question she was asked was, who are you? And then the Cheshire cat comes along and says, where are you going? Does anybody remember her response? Uh oh, go go to Neil. Go to Neil. We switched rooms on you. No worries. So, that's right. That's right. And then the Beatles Beatles redid it as well. Good job. If you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there. Okay, so we're going to talk about vision statements, vision ideas. This is a pretty good vision statement, right? So respect, integrity, communication, and excellence. Those are, those are pretty solid words, right? We treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves. We do not tolerate abuse or disrespectful treatment. Ruthlessness, callousness, and arrogance do not belong here. Does anybody know where these words, values, and vision statement came from? Any guesses? It's Golden Rule. It's a company. It's a real company. Any idea? Respect, integrity, communication, and excellence. Oh, wow. <laughs> Apple, good guess. Any other thoughts? Y'all remember this little company? 
So Enron managed the world's largest portfolio of natural gas contracts and pioneered innovative trading products. The company was on the fortune uh, was on Fortune's most innovative in the U.S. several years running and reached number seven on the Fortune 500 list in 2000. Its bankruptcy in December of 20 I'm sorry 2001 was the largest such filing in U.S. history. The name Enron became synonymous with corporate greed and corruption. And its demise cost employees and investors $70 billion, right? But if we go back to their vision statement, like it, doesn't, it doesn't line up, right? So where are we going, right? So we're going to work on some of this. Rio Olympics, everybody remember this? We had a, a blast going through some of these old pictures. So Michael Phelps became the, the most decorated athlete of all time, but you also might remember this fun stare down. Simone, Simone Biles became the most uh, decorated gymnast. Well, we also had Ryan Lochte, you all remember this, a couple, a couple of years ago. So the Brazil Olympics had beautiful arenas. Right, they they went all out. Do y'all know what those look like now? So where did they go wrong? They're abandoned. They were supposed to be turned into beautiful high-rise apartments, or you know, turned into an Olympic uh, swimming pool for colleges. And now it looks like this. So again, where did they go wrong? They had a vision, but yet they didn't know where they were going. So I grew up playing soccer. I'm going to show you a very quick 90-second video of a soccer team. There's no audio to it. But it's three professional soccer players versus 100 kids. So these professional soccer players came in. They had vision. What else do they have? They have expertise. Yeah. <laughs> they understand how to play the game, whereas these kids are just following wherever the ball goes. All those goalies. And they score. Right? So what does it look like for us? Are we the group? <laughs> Yeah. So are we are we the group of a hundred kids running around following wherever the ball goes? Or are we the three professional expertise soccer players that know how to play the game? There's gotta be something more to all of this, right? So as we're leaning into discipleship, where where are we going? Micah six eight. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. Super simple. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. This word walk is interesting in Scripture. There's something different about the word walk. What does it mean to walk humbly with your God? So if you look uh, in Genesis 5, there is uh, a genealogy of the first humans, 
right? So uh, Adam says he was alive for 60-some years, and then he gave uh, birth to Seth, and he lived or, you know, uh, 900 more years, right? It's this whole series of people, right? And then Enoch comes around, and it's different, right? Let me read Ephesians, or uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 5. That's the beginning of the Bible. I do know that. All right. Verse 21. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Enoch walked with God. Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Enoch was taken away and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as the one who pleased God. Right? Walking just looks different. Walking looks really different. How are, what does our daily walk with God look like? So as we are trying to figure out where we are going, where are we going on this walk with God? What are some good characteristics of a walk? Well, there's obviously there's a beginning, and we're headed somewhere, right? There's a goal to make progress towards that destination. It's not like we're just, like, if I know that I'm walking that direction, I got to walk that direction, right? It doesn't make sense for me to go the long way around. There are markers along the way that'll let us know if we're heading the right direction. Um, and there's going to be ups and downs, Right? We all kind of agree with those. Uh, I grew up going to Colorado to, to go ski, and we would look at the trail map, and we would mark our route the whole way down, and we knew that, you know, I want to go to this black diamond and go to this blue, and we're gonna, this is going to be our path. We had a map. We knew where we were headed. And there were definitely hills and valleys on that mountain, for sure. Uh, I've got a drawing like this on my wall in my office. So this concept is development, okay? So we have simplicities and we have complexities. And we have simplicities and we have complexities. So so let's take uh, math. Whenever we were in elementary school, we learned addition and it was probably pretty hard, but then we learned addition. And we were, then it was, addition is super easy. And then we learned multiplication. And now we, that is hard again. But then once we learned multiplication, it was easy. And then I learned algebra. And then that was easy. And then I took calculus. And then I took calculus again. And then I took it for a third time. And then it was easy, right? So this process is development will argue that this may not be the best way to do discipleship. Saul's conversion. Um, Saul became a believer, miraculously. Saul, the, the, the um, Pauline conversion is a, is a big deal. Um, but then how long did it take before he went on a missionary journey? 14 years. 14 years after he converted. So... How do we then have a little bit of grace when people don't get concepts right away, right? So how can we um, also in our own lives know I'm two years into this and I'm not doing it yet and 
maybe let's take some time. Let's take some time and really understand what we're doing. So the, the argument we're making in this book is that a walk needs to be centered on the gospel, right? So if that's where we're started, that's our, that's our beginning point, centered on the gospel. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So throughout our big, long walk of discipleship, we're never going to leave that, right? So how do we center ourselves on the gospel always? So in our knowledge of the gospel, in our experience of the gospel, and then our application of the gospel. It should be expanding in scope, right? So as we're going on this path, we're rooted on the gospel, but we should expand to involve others, right? So we should reach out and bring others along with us. This is discipleship. 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we were talking a little bit just ago uh, about how Paul doesn't, doesn't know or doesn't uh, explain who he's talking to. So what you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men that they also will then be able to teach, right? So we're talking about four generations of people right here. So we got, Paul, we got Paul talking to Timothy, talking to faithful men, that then they can reach out to other people. So this is a discipleship model, right? So we're creating replicators, right? The transformative power of the gospel expands inward as we become more and more like Christ, but it also expands outward intentionally as we invest our lives into other people. So we go back to the characteristics of the walk, right? So we're centered on the gospel. We're making progress towards the goal, which is more discipleship by expanding our reach. There are markers along the way that we're about to talk to, and that is just going to be hard. It's going to be, this is not an easy thing that we're signing up for. The cost of discipleship is massive. So you end up with something that looks like this, right? It becomes a spiral effect. So we're centered on the gospel, and then this is our path as we expand outward, bringing in more people. These are the eight signposts along the way that LifeWay's largest uh, research project of its kind um, found that a maturing disciple will be uh, hitting all eight of those signposts, right? So what does it look like displayed in real life? First, we have the ditch of education. Uh, I know that if I can just learn how to do things right, if I know all of the right answers, then I'm going to be good, right? This is where we get into a theological debate. Uh, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded of you, right? It doesn't say, teach them your head knowledge. It says, teach them to observe how you're doing it. So we've got to not just have head knowledge, we've got to have action. Then we have the ditch of behavior, which is the other side. So if I can just make myself good, then everything will be right. If I can just 
um, talk a certain way, if I can just not do things, then that'll make me a better Christian, right? We fall into those two ditches a lot, right? If I can just learn how to do it, or if I can just act a certain way, right? So we've got to balance those two. 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, we all with unveiled faces are looking up as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as we are trying to um, act better, it is God that we are uh, exuding. Discipleship changes the way we think. It changes the way we believe, the way we feel. And ultimately, it changes the way that we act. Right? So if we can change the way that we think, we change the way that we believe, the way that we feel, and the way that we act, we can become more like Jesus. So the eight signposts of discipleship. We're going to walk through, if y'all have a book, I'm going to do a whole lot from um, page 20. Engaging with Scripture. Okay, so these are in no particular order, but they are the eight signposts that uh, this research project figured out um, were evident and clear in all maturing, maturing believers. So they engage with Scripture. Transformation can be recognized when our mind is sharpened by the Bible, when our perspective is shaped by the Bible, and our actions are directed by the Bible. Um, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How are y'all engaging with Scripture? How is your church engaging with Scripture? Is there, um, uh, from the top down, is there motivating uh, communication about engaging with Scripture? Discussion, yes, no, yes? It's a pillar. It's a signpost. So, engaging with Scripture. What does it look like to obey God and deny self? Discipleship is the process of obedience to the one who is an authority over you. Transformation can be seen when we progressively set aside earthly delights for kingdom priorities. Um, long ago, I was given an illustration um, about um, authority. So we are um, at the um, expense is not the right word. Um, the authority over us. We are at the power of the authority over us. So if, if I were to lie, and if I were to lie to y'all, y'all may not like me anymore, right? So there's not a whole lot of authority between us, right? If I lie to my wife, then she's really not going to like me. But if I lie to my government, which has more power over me, then that's called perjury and I could go to jail, right? But if I lie to the king of the universe right? That's called sin, right? And so what does it look like then? Discipleship becomes a process of obedience to the one that is authority over you, right? So how do I deny myself because of the authority that he has over me, which is greater than anything else? That's discipleship. The verse for that is Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Does your church or your congregation or your small group 
What does it look like practically for y'all to obey God and deny self more? What does it look like? All right, number three, serve God and others. Transformation is evident when personal needs and even dreams are set aside for the needs we see in others. This one is very, very, very hard for me. Um, One, I love to serve. I do. Uh, It's something that I feel like I can just do. It's something that oozes out of me until you tell me to set aside my own dreams, right? Because I have a plan of where I'm going, right? And now you're telling me I can't do that because of somebody else? This is where I die to self a whole lot, right? So transformation is evident when personal needs and even dreams are set aside for the needs we see in others. Uh, Matthew 25, 40, whatever you did for the for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That is why we serve, right? That is why I am willing to put aside my needs or put aside my dreams. I think we have to be a little careful on that one because sometimes God gives us that passion and we need to act that out. Sure. He gave it to us. And so you have to discern out is is it something that's coming from you or is it something you've given? Sure. I do think we need some discernment. But I also think that if we are engaging with Scripture on the very front of this, then I think a lot of that will become clear. Right? So if we're developing, if we're learning through all eight of these areas, I think that'll be clear. Good question or good comment. Sharing Christ. So the research project said if people actually share Christ, that they were more of a maturing disciple, right? That one seems a little bit uh, obvious. Uh, even with the need to live uh, live out the effects? Yes, it is. I've got a typo. Live out the effects of the gospel. Maturing believers know that speaking about the message is a necessity. Transformation is evident when we talk about Christ and the message of the gospel. Uh, Growing up uh, in my first Baptist church, Sherman, Texas, uh, we had a evangelism track that we could all learn how to do evangelism. Um, And it scared me to death. So I had to memorize scripture and then they said, all right, now let's go put it into practice. And we went to, uh, on a mission trip to Pensacola, Florida, and we knocked on doors and we shared Jesus with anybody that would listen. Um, and it was absolutely terrifying. Uh, but it's good, right? It is still good for us to relationally share Jesus. First uh, Peter 3.15, the book says, But in your hearts regard Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, uh, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Talk to me about hope. So as we are on this walk, where is our hope? Right? We have hope that is in Jesus. Why would we not share it with everybody we see? Because you will be asked more and if they see you going through hard times than when things are easy. With all this, how are you still being such a one? Yeah. Uh, my wife is Instagram friends with uh, a family that just had a, um, their daughter fell off of a golf cart and has severe brain injuries. And um, to see his, the dad's faith uh, has been remarkable. And so now his Instagram following is blown up, uh, but he is, he is preaching the gospel. 
in the midst of how unresponsive or non-responsive his daughter is right now. And so when you've seen pictures of B, like there's no way I could, I could do that. Like, and so how do I have more faith to be able to do that? How can I share Christ in the midst of the hardships, right? Good segue to exercising some faith. Transformation can be seen in believers when risk aversion is set aside and our lives are characterized by the faithful obedience to God's will. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's a perspective shifting when we start talking about faith. So as we're going on this journey, where are we headed? Well, we're headed toward faith, right? So as we continue to grow and mature as a disciple, our faith becomes stronger, right? So as we are circling the gospel and expanding our scope, we are bringing more in by faith. Number six, we seek God. Transformation is seen when our desire to know God is more deeply and experienced. Did I read that right? Transformation is seen when our desire to know God more deeply and experience his work more fully. There it is. Uh, Matthew 6, 33, but we seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So what does it look like for your congregation to seek God more? Is there a, a hunger? Is there a fire in your belly that wants to know Jesus more? Are y'all kind of doing a personal assessment as you're going? You're like, man, I, I am bad at some of these. <laughs> it's convicting. It is. Uh, but we're getting better. Number seven, build relationships. Our faith is personal, but it is not intended to be private. Our horizontal relationships should develop just as our vertical relationship with God does. Uh, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is my favorite one. Um, I am an extrovert. I love people. Um, my wife and I have the gift of hospitality, and so I would love it if our house was filled with people all the time. I would love it. So this is something that this comes natural to me, right? It may not come natural to some of you. Um, others might come more natural to, to you, uh, but this is the one that I think I could really shine in, right? So we try to do it as much as possible. So if, if my house is centered on the gospel and I'm expanding in scope, this is the easiest thing for me to do, right? I'm just going to come in. And I'm going to love on you for however long you're in my house, right? We're going to have a fun food and we're going to have great conversation and we're going to talk about Jesus. So where can you in your congregation, in your discipleship group, build relationships better with people? Um, isn't it interesting how our prayer lives change as we get to know somebody else? If we start praying for them by name, that relationship is stronger, right? Live unashamed. Transformation is evident when a behavior is transparent and unashamed in presenting their own life as being aligned with Christ. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Uh, Lecrae drove this one into my brain, right? So he is part of the 116 click. Uh, 
living unashamed. How do we live unashamed? Uh, so much of my life is built upon what people think of me, right? So I want to be the best at everything I do uh, because I want people to accolade me. But if I start living unashamed, that says, I don't care what people think, right? I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Um, I'm unashamed of who he is in my life. So if we're all producing fruit, what kind of fruit are we producing, right? So an apple tree only makes apples. It doesn't make oranges. And an orange tree only makes oranges. It doesn't make apples, right? And so all of us are producing some sort of fruit. And is that fruit good fruit? Is that fruit bad fruit? How do we make good fruit? Questions on the eight signposts or vision? So if we're casting a vision centered on the gospel, expanding in scope, we've got some signposts to make sure we're going on the right path. Lucky for us, we're going to talk about building. Uh, so my daughter wanted a tower in our backyard. Don't look at my grass because there is none. I have a baseball infield right now. It's awful. So I think I'm handy. I think I can build things. Um, and so I drew this out 12 different ways on some graph paper and, and started asking B what she wanted out of a, out of a playhouse. And so um, then I went out and built it, right? What I have learned about my carpentry skills is I am a rough builder. I am not a finished carpenter. I hate details. I will, it will not look good if you ask me to do finished carpentry, right? But I can build you a deck. I can build you uh, a fun playhouse, right? So how are we working in our own specialties, right? So if you are good at something, are you not good at something that you should stay away from? Is there a way that you can say, I'll build this, but I don't want to do finish? There's B, Home Depot, and she loves it, and she loves it. And she's so pensive here, but look how beautiful she is. Uh, she sits in there all day, every day. But um, here's some quotes for you on mastery. Like a sculptor, the raw material, wow. Like a sculptor, the raw material he will soon fashion into a figure. We are merely born with the capability to do it. The skill to mold the material into what we want must be learned and attentively cultivated. So we go back to Paul and his conversion. It took 14 years for him to learn and actively cultivate. The feeling that we have a greater command of reality, other people, and ourselves, and at the root of this power is a simple process that leads to mastery. So as we are going through this discipleship project or process, it is simple, right? But it still takes a long time to do it. And it's simple, and it takes a long time to do it. And it's simple, and it takes a long time to do it. 
The emerging picture of such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. 10,000 hours of hard practice, 10,000 hours is the magic number of greatness. Greatness. So, 10,000 hours is about nine years worth of intentional work. Day and night? I mean, 40, 50 hours a day. Or 40, a day. 40, 50 hours a week. Okay, just... After nine, nine years, we'll get you mastery. So what does that mean for y'all in your context? How long have y'all been doing discipleship? It's okay to not feel good at it, right? I am not the best evangelizer. I'm not the best at denying myself. It's a process that takes time. Eugene Peterson, uh, who wrote the message, says it's the long obedience in the same direction, right? I think that's the easiest quote to memorize. Mastery just takes time. I got another email. Mastery takes time. So what does it look like in y'all's context? In your church, how long has your discipleship program been going on? Forever? Never. Never. Today's a great day to start that. It took 15 years to really turn the church around. Right. Right. And now where are you today? I, I don't think you ever get there, but we're much farther along than we were 15 years ago. Uh, the makeup of the church and what is totally changed since we opened it. That's good. It's good. Centered on the gospel. Oh, yeah. Expanding in scope. Yeah, and uh, you have to be careful because we're a small community. We talk accused of being a vulture. And, and, sure. So we try to keep the community, not really a church, but a community. So you may go to a different church, but this is still a discipleship program that we're doing. Not, and most of them are not at the church. Right. So you can pull are, the community. Are they your process to their church? No. We're doing it, for the most part, at home in small study groups. Mm -hmm. It's easier to build relationships that, that yes. way. No, I mean, but are they then taking that Some of them are, yes. and doing small yes. groups out yeah. of kind their of people out of their the, church? The, the compounding yeah, philosophy. To get, yeah, to get the multiplication. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, the, and it's, it's a worldwide uh, ministry thing, mm -hmm. but it's headquartered, believe it or not, in Robinsville. But, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's taken, yeah, and it's taken 15 years. He's actually been there 20. And really, start with part of the church has taken about 15. Yeah. That's great. That's great that you've got vision for even farther, right? Mm -hmm. So if it looks like this, and we're talking about mastery, and it just takes time to do this, luckily for all of us, Right? Bible Studies for Life is that long tail study plan. So we're going to hit all eight of these every single year. So this is the tiniest. I'm sorry for this. This is so small. Uh, this fall, we walked through simplicity, finding contentment in a busy life. 
and how to know God's will. And so these were the two we tackled in the fall, right? So we were talking about obeying God and denying self and then seeking God. This winter, we're talking about answers to tough questions, defending what you believe. It's an apologetics study. And when life gets hard, big questions about pain and suffering. So we're talking about sharing Christ and we're talking about exercising faith, right? So these are our eight that we're going to walk through every single year. Uh, and if y'all go to BibleStudiesForLife.com, uh, there you can sign up and you'll get four, four free sessions. I've got books up here that's an entire quarter worth. And so if y'all want to take more of these, I don't want to take these back to work. <laughs> so if y'all want to take more of them, uh, uh, you're more than welcome to them. Um, also, this is my email address. Please email me. Uh, I'll send you... Uh, how to know God's will. I know that you were talking about contentment earlier, Terry. I can send you that one if you would like. Um, please, please, please send me um, emails asking questions. I would love to be uh, a good resource for you guys. And we're, we're really happy to help. So andrew.hudson at lifeway.com. But I'll send you a digital copy of how to know God's will which is from this fall. Discipleology. Uh, Discipleology is a new podcast that Michael Kelly and I are doing. The first 10 episodes, uh, we sit down with Scott McConnell, who is director of Lifeway Research, and he really breaks down some of the um, research behind the eight signposts. So I am a, a mere peon when it comes to to Scott McConnell and his brilliance of his research. Uh, so he really breaks it down. Uh, and then after the first 10 episodes, we're sitting down uh, with pastors um, and a wide variety of communities. So our first episode was with um, a, a student pastor in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, their church is 90% homeless and unemployed, and it's the, the largest church in the state of Maryland. Um, and it's about 150, 200 people. Um, and it's 90% homeless and unemployed. And so our first question was like, how are you doing this? How are you doing discipleship in a community that doesn't care about you guys, right? And, and some of his insights were really fascinating. Uh, we're sitting down with... Um, Byron Weathersby coming up here next week, uh, and, and that's going to be about marriage. And so what does discipleship look like in marriage? We're sitting down with Noe Garcia. We've sat down with pastors all across the country, uh, and it's just been really, really fun. Um, and if y'all don't know Michael Kelly, uh, he is brilliant. Uh, I just sit there and kind of nod along most of the time, uh, but, but he's a good one. Okay, last thing I want to do with us. I'm going to on your papers from the last last class, I'm going to get you... Oh! So, there are 168 hours. So, just somewhere, in, or in notes somewhere else. Um, and I want you all to be as generous as you want to be. Okay? I recommend being super generous. Um, how many hours a week do you think you work? Estimating. I'm going to say I probably work somewhere in the 40 to 60 hour per week range, right? 
So let's just average it and call it 50. How long is your commute? I probably spend 10 hours on the road each week, roughly, give or take. Uh, how much do y'all sleep? You get 11 hours a night, is that what you said? Okay, do you get 56? How many hours do you really think you get? Right? Sure, so make your own chart, make your own. I'll say 56. Um, how often are you reading scripture, reading other books, studying? How many hours a week do you think you do you think you spend? Couple, couple a night. Whew. Let's say I spend an hour on the weekdays. How about this one? Convicting for anybody? How much time do you watch TV? for me, two hours a night probably. What else? What are some other areas that you think you spend time on? Eating? Is that what you said? Okay. Sure, I probably spend 18 hours a week. I don't know. Yeah, it's your exercise, gym. Ooh. I should probably get into the gym. That's convicting, thank you. Okay, yeah. Video games or anything else? Yeah. Whatever that number is. Okay, getting ready. I should probably spend more time getting ready. Yeah, let's call it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's high. Oh gosh, I think that's high. We'll try that. Okay. Once you've got a pretty good list, add them up. Add them up. Anybody get 168? Yeah, amen. You and my dad. I'd recommend it. Uh, me too. <laughs> I would love to retire right now. Don't wish you life away. Yeah. Let's see what this is. Okay. So, super generous. On my board, I got 156. So, I got 12 more hours. 12 more hours that are unaccounted for. 12 more hours. Oh, it, it was taking care of the house. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, it is terrifying to me that I've got a half a day that I'm wasting, right? How can I be more intentional with my time? Maybe this is a good area that I should be spending more time in. Maybe I should spend less here. So as we are going about our weeks, where are we spending 168 hours? Right? How are we making ourselves better? How are we studying scripture more? How are we doing discipleship better? How are we building relationships with other people better? Sure. Here you go. Yeah, I would put I would put that in here. My quiet time is in the reading, but yeah, build it in. So what? How do you how do you build in margin for your day? It do, it's not that we've got to be going, 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 but right now I've got twelve hours of unaccounted for, and so how do I now account for that twelve hours? Is it in margin? 
right? But it's more of a, a push for intentionality. So be intentional with your margin, for sure. Uh, I've got a guy on my team, video producer on my team, that he blocks his calendar off. I'm like, I need to have a meeting with you. And he's like, nope, it's my quiet. And I'm like, I don't know how to process that. I need you to, I need you to do this. But he, I mean, it works for him. All right. Questions, comments, concerns, quips. Quips are my favorite. And I'm going to give you all a little bit of time back, 10 minutes back into your day. I hope this conference has been really, really good for you guys. I hope that it has been uh, good to network. I hope that it has been good uh, to meet new people. And hopefully you're getting some good out of this. Uh, I'm going to pray for our time. And then you all have got one more big session, right? One more big, big one. Lord, we thank you uh, for today. Lord, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for your gospel. Lord, we ask that uh, it would become fresh to us again, that it would be new and that you would replenish our souls. Lord, we ask that you would be in our thoughts and in our prayers. Uh, Lord, that we would glorify your name and that we would tell the people around us about you. Lord, that you would give us the words to share and that it would be clear. Lord, and that our passion would be for you. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Guys, I appreciate y'all coming into my class. That's it for today's episode. Check out the ebook that goes with this podcast episode called Discipleship is the Core Mission of the Church by Bobby Harrington. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks. See you next time.